Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and from WBEZ Chicago, this is Reset. Fentanyl overdoses are now a major health crisis in many places across the country, and public health officials are struggling to keep up. A mother is suing the LAUSD after her teenage daughter died from a fentanyl overdose. Fentanyl is in everything now. Everything. Just in the last hour, the coroner confirmed to us the six-month-old baby girl died from fentanyl toxicity. CMPD says more than 30% of overdoses so far this year have been caused by fentanyl. Tragic headlines like these feel all too common these days. As many as two-thirds of overdoses in the U.S. are caused by fentanyl, and it's become one of the leading causes of death among 18 to 49-year-olds. The devastating impact of fentanyl is being felt in cities and small towns across the country and has drug enforcement and public health advocates scrambling to find a way to slow its destruction. But what exactly is fentanyl and what makes it so addictive and deadly? Here to explain is Tanya Sorrell, the co-chair of the Illinois Harm Reduction and Recovery Coalition, and she's joined by Taylor Wood, lead technician and drug checking program manager for Chicago Recovery Alliance. Tanya, start by telling us what fentanyl is and what it was originally manufactured for. Fentanyl is actually a very powerful opioid. Uh, so it's in the same class of what we knew as our traditional opioids that we would deal with. Uh, prescription pain pills like OxyContin, our heroin, which was the traditional opioid that may have been an illicit uh, substance used in the population. The the difficulty in what has made fentanyl more problematic in the last five to seven years is that fentanyl is about 50 times stronger than heroin. And it's frequently mixed with other types of heroin compounds so that the user may not know the amount of fentanyl that is in a substance. And so if they were traditionally knew how to use heroin but to stay safer, or to use safer or harm reduction practices, mm-hmm. it's harder to know if your drug contains fentanyl and at what percentage. And that's what's increased the light, the potential for overdose and the need to really focus on harm reduction yeah. and safe use. Taylor, talk more about that. What, what makes fentanyl so deadly? And if you can compare it to other opioids like heroin or, or morphine. What makes it more deadly is... It just has such a, a quick, uh, rapid onset. You know, most of the effects are felt within two hours. Um, and if you don't have a tolerance um, to opioids in general, it could be a pretty, you know, dangerous situation if the dosage is, is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes it dangerous is it, it became a substance of, of choice and production because of how easy it is to synthesize and create, you know, heroin you have to grow, you know, and you have to, there's a lot of, additional hands you have to hire for that process, whereas fentanyl, it can be, you know, created in a clandestine lab, you know, with, uh, you know, less personnel. It's easier to smuggle. Yeah. Um, So it just, it proliferated our supply rapidly. Yeah. And and as Tanya said, it's it's much more potent, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. One milligram of fentanyl is 100 milligrams of of morphine. Mm -hmm. One milligram of fentanyl is like 50 milligrams of heroin. How are people using it, Tanya? Is it being used recreationally? Uh, generally, it's it's in a combination with either 
heroin are can be pressed into tablets, and so people may think they may be they're using oxycontin tablets, but there's fentanyl a percentage of fentanyl in that, so it can be used either. Uh, by ingesting it, by snorting it, smoking it, or intravenously. Many people, Taylor... Uh, IV use. Yeah, IV use as well. Uh, Many people have have probably heard of drugs laced with fentanyl, right? Hearing a lot of that, especially in recent headlines. How common is this, though? Um, Are we just seeing something happen right now? I would say, at least in the opioid supply, it's extremely common, Um, out of 126 samples that were sold as heroin um, that we examined um, for our last grant year, uh, 101 of those was positive for fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, I think it was around, it was 9 or 11 that had heroin dominant within that supply. So the most of those samples were just mostly fentanyl and uh, the bulking agents in association. Why do people even mix drugs with fentanyl in the first place? Um you make a lot more money that way. Um, it's you know it it's it, it's just easier to to kind of add into the supply that way. You know all the others. How how so? How do you make more money? Um, you're able to smuggle a lot more of it. Um, you know the same pound would would go for exceedingly more than a pound of heroin. Um, so it's it's just something that, you know, you can send it in the mail, even the, the postal mail. It, it can be small enough so you could send a gram, two grams, three grams and, you know, make a, a huge profit that way. Um, so it's yeah, it, it in terms of the other supply, though, it's you know, it is found in crack cocaine. It's been found in methamphetamine and, and other jurisdictions um, in our own. It's been primarily focused on the opioid supply and in some some pockets of crack cocaine use Mm -hmm. um but you know i a part of me feels like it's been mixed in because there were so many people who were dealing with withdrawal symptoms you know for a period there you know those those individuals likely wanted to have you know an enjoyable experience or an enjoyable high so they may have dabbled in poly substance use but in order to like stave against that withdrawal symptom you know other opiates were added in um, I think that may have contributed to a few accidental deaths in that way, or accidental poisoning, I yeah. think, as some people have said. Yeah. And, and so we're clear, Tanya, where are you most likely to encounter fentanyl? Is it usually intentionally or inadvertently? It, it's most most likely and most commonly um, when you're using uh, another substance or using heroin. Yeah. And then there may be laced with fentanyl in it. Uh, there is a, a myth that you can touch or inadvertently come in contact with fentanyl, and it can be absorbed into your system, but that actually isn't correct. You have to e- either snort it or smoke it, ingest it, or, or IV use for it to get into your system. I see. But that's unfortunately a myth that's become uh, some, sometimes in, in, the, in the narrative that you can be around it or, or you can inadvertently con- make contact with well, it. Well, I'm glad you bring that up, Tanya, because I wonder if there are any other misconceptions about fentanyl that either of you think the folks listening should know? You first, Tanya. Well, there are, there are several. Some, uh, there's a misconception that the utilization of Narcan, which is an opioid reversal, does not work for fentanyl, but that's not true. Uh, that's one of the reasons that our harm reduction programs really uh, encourage people to have 
Narcan available, just like you would learn CPR for your job to help someone if they have a heart attack. You have and carry Narcan to help someone that you may encounter because you're actually more likely nowadays if you see someone that's unconscious, it's because of an opi opioid overdose and not a heart attack. So that Narcan does work uh, to combat and reverse fentanyl. Yeah. You just need to monitor and learn how to utilize it to help to make sure that we can help keep each other safe. Anything to add, Taylor? With that, and to kind of add to um, the comment about you know the misconception of it being able to be absorbed into the skin. Yes. You know that that fear kind of adds to this this stigma and this reaction where you see someone overdosing and you're afraid to, you know, administer aid because you yourself might, you know, experience an overdose, which it just doesn't work that way. Um, so, you know, in, in those situations, people might, you know, opt not to do rescue breaths. And, and many times that's, you know, that's unfortunate because an overdose is essentially creating a situation where there's no oxygen getting to the brain. Um, wow. so you want to keep, you know, that oxygen going, um, even if you don't have, you know, Narcan on hand, you know, um, rescue breaths as well as chest compressions, trying to keep the person awake can can very much assist in, in that situation, too. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're talking about fentanyl with overdoses on the rise. It makes you wonder what's happening in our city and what's being done to prevent lethal overdoses from that drug. So here to tell us more is Tanya Soral of the Rush Substance Use Disorder Center of Excellence and Taylor Wood of the Chicago Recovery Alliance. So Taylor, sticking with you for a moment, drug testing, right? This is a big part of the work that you do yes. for the Chicago Re Recovery Alliance. Can you test for fentanyl? Absolutely. How? Um, we, we utilize fentanyl test strips in addition to using um, Fourier Transform Infrared uh, Spectroscopy. With Chicago's supply, um, we're seeing FENT levels that really do require a fentanyl test strip to be employed. Uh, the FTIR does have a, a threshold uh, limitation uh, of detection for, of about 5%. Okay. So it, let's say the you know, fentanyl is at 3% in an, a dope mixture. It, it might be difficult for us to, you know, to ascertain that it's, that it's present. So then we'd run a fentanyl test strip as well to see if you know, the, that presence is in fact there. Um, and kind of using that that uh, two step approach, it's been it's been pretty robust in in capturing a lot of the uh, the fentanyl in the dose supply. What do you say to to people who think that the work that you're doing it only encourages people to continue using drugs? I would say to them, there's someone out there that they know who is using drugs and is too afraid or ashamed to tell them and that kind of that thought line creates it, it it furthers that stigma um so then people may be less likely to actually get help and engage in more risky and illicit behavior so i you know it's do drug, you see you see a lot of stigma against the people that use drugs like this absolutely absolutely even in other uh like pockets of substance use you know there's it's like, well, at least I don't use that kind of substance, you know, so it's... it's one's worse than the other, mm -hmm. right? How do you address it, Tanya? There's always been that notable stigma, uh, particularly for IV use and the use of heroin and other opioids. We address it by helping people to recognize that help is available, um, that we have to keep you alive 
to act to to be able to get help. You know, we used to think that people need to hit rock bottom, but unfortunately, rock bottom with opioid use disorder is an overdose and a death. And then we can't get those people back to their friends, their families. This is someone's brother. This is someone's sister. So harm reduction is the first step that we use. We teach people, one, that there's no stigma, there's no shame, there's no judgment, but we want to keep you alive. And we work as healthcare professionals to reengage that trust uh, because, unfortunately, that persons who use drugs are stigmatized in the healthcare system. And so they, again, feel isolated from reaching out for help. Mm-hmm. So part of our harm reduction and outreach efforts help people who use drugs to know, hey, we want you to stay alive. If you're using substance drugs, we want you to use them safely. And we're here when you're wanting to, to get help. And that actually has been shown to increase the likelihood for people who use drugs to reach out for help when they know that the healthcare providers that are working with them in harm reduction are there and will listen and will help them to, to, to stop their substance use or to move towards what we call medication-assisted recovery, which are medications to help people to lower and stop their opioid use and helps to keep them alive, yeah. prevents the cravings that keeps them from using and decreases the likelihood that they overdose in the future. You know, and again, I've just been seeing more reports about fentanyl-related deaths and overdoses. Just this morning, I woke up and saw a headline in the Washington Post about five people who died in Colorado around late February who thought Mm -hmm. that they were just taking cocaine, but it turns out that it was laced with fentanyl. Are the numbers just rising at this point, Tanya? The numbers are continuing to increase. You know, there was a specific point that we mentioned last year when there were over 100,000 deaths in the U.S. For fentanyl, uh, from opioid overdose. And there were 1,300 deaths just in the Chicago area last year. They are continuing to rise. The, we, what we notice as well is COVID-19 and the isolation leading to that also increased not only emotional anxiety issues, mental health issues Mm -hmm. that we know are frequently the reason that people may turn to substances and sadly may lead to overdose. So we know that this is increasing and we know that we need to address it because help is there and available and no one should die from from an overdose. Taylor, what's your sense of the impact of fentanyl in Chicago specifically? You know, much like anywhere else, it's been it's been, uh, I mean, it's been disastrous. It's, it's taken a lot of wonderful people from us, um, many of whom were just, you know, in a difficult spot at that time. And it's, it, it's just, it's, um, it's abhorrent. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Who are the people you would say fentanyl is, is impacting the most? I would, you know, the, the drug supply, it is fairly privileged, um, so I would say those who are dealing with economic struggle, who, you know, don't have the option to, you know, source which supply they they gather from. You know, there's there's many individuals who are kind of stuck with one or two, you know, awful supplies. And that's, you know, that's that's an issue. Um, and it's, you know, that they have they don't really have that ability to travel across the city. They, mm-hmm. you know, they can't go online to order things that way there's they're kind of stuck you know operating on the street level and it's uh, that's extremely dangerous as well you know in addition to the overdose risks we had you on the show earlier this month tanya to to talk about a bill that would 
make safe injection sites more accessible. Is there more that our lawmakers could be doing to to address the rising numbers of of fentanyl-related overdoses? Yes, and along with the overdose prevention site, and that's actually the name of the bill and what the the centers that prevent overdoses, uh, that's what uh, they're called scientifically, is there are a number of things that we can do. We can decrease whether someone who may be using substances, we can decrease decriminalization for that use and route people and divert them to treatment and services instead of jail, which unfortunately we we did very frequently during the crack cocaine epidemic, and we're still doing to some uh, extent during the opioid and overdose epidemic. So routing people to treatment rather than jail uh, certainly would be a start. Also, we're having increasing numbers of pregnant people who may be using substances, and that's an additional stigma in reaching out to help. So decriminalizing coming and getting treatment during pregnancy rather than the the shame, the stigma, and the isolation of substance use during pregnancy is another method that legislators could assist in making sure that not only pregnant people but babies and families are, are together and alive and getting help. We're just about out of time, but I just want to hear briefly from both of you. People are listening to us right now. So what what are the most important things you want listeners to take away from this conversation? You first, Taylor. Ultimately, I hope um, collectively we can come to the conclusion that, um, you know, the end of stigma towards drug use, in addition to um, a safe supply, is, I think, the route that we're going to have to yeah. to go in order to, to tackle this issue. Tanya? And that help is here. Sadly, substance use is very isolating. Harm reduction and getting help brings people back together, brings people to their families. The Mar Now program at 1-833-234-6343 helps bring people to treatment, brings people back to their families, and so that help can be here and available uh, in your struggle with substance use. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather. Stay up to date on the most important stories in Chicago and the world by subscribing to our podcast. And when you subscribe, leave us a rating and share our podcast with a friend. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we'll see you tomorrow for our weekly news recap. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.